السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا قال رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi. Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends, and upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of times. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we have reached our last lesson and our last sahabi. So with regards to our series, the Ashara wa Mubashara, the 10 companions that were guaranteed Jannah, this will be our last episode and the companion that we will be looking at tonight, it will be Sa'id ibn Zaid, may Allah be pleased with him. And Sa'id ibn Zaid was fortunate in this dunya and you will be fortunate in the Akhirah as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he guaranteed him Jannah and also he was a forerunner in good actions and obedience he was someone that he understood the deen of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala he understood who Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was and he understood what he needed to do as a companion, as a friend, and as a Muslim for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for the noble messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So his name and his lineage, he is Sa'id ibn Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail ibn Abdul Uzza ibn Riya ibn Kurd ibn Raza ibn Adi ibn Ka'b ibn Luay ibn Ghalib Abu Al-A'war Al-Qurashi Al-Adawi. His mother is Fatima bint Ba'ja ibn Umayyah or ibn Umayyah ibn Khuwaylid ibn Khalid ibn Al-Ma'mar ibn Hayyan ibn Ghanam ibn Malih ibn Khuzar. So from here again we find that his lineage. The lineage of Sa'id ibn Zayd it meets with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at his forefather Ka'b ibn Luay and my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam I was asked a few weeks ago by someone why do you mention the lineage why do you mention everyone and sometimes it's like maybe five six seven eight nine names why mention it? And there's two reasons. Number one, we mention it because it is recorded in history. And this shows us also the importance that Islam and the ulama that they gave to knowing who the companion was or knowing who the person was that they were studying. That they would try to go as far as possible with regards to their lineage. And then number two, they would see where this person, if he was a Qurashi, etc., where you would meet with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
with regards to the lineage. And this shows you that first of all, they showed a great interest in the person. And secondly, also shows us and shares with us the merit of the person that has a lineage which meets with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's agnomen. He was well known as Abu al-A'wa. Some reports say he was known also as Abu Thawr. However, Abu al-A'wa is the one that he is famously known by. His description. His description was that he was a tall man with a brown skin and he had long hair. A glance at his household. He married his cousin Fatima, who was the sister of Umar ibn Khattab, whilst his sister Atika was Umar ibn Khattab's wife. So Ibn al-Athir, he mentions and he states that Umar radiallahu anhu's brother-in-law was the husband of his sister. Fatima bint al-Khattab, his brother-in-law's sister, and Atika bin Zaid was Umar ibn Khattab's wife. So just to make it simpler, the wife of Sa'id ibn Zaid was the sister of Umar ibn Khattab. The sister of Sa'id ibn Zaid was married to Umar ibn Khattab. So they were quite close. And carries on and he says that he married her after her husband Abdullah ibn Abi Bakr as-Siddiq was killed. Ibn Abdul Bar, he says that Sa'id ibn Zaid, the cousin and brother-in-law of Umar ibn Khattab, he was his cousin as well, that his agnomum was Abu al-A'war, that Fatima bint al-Khattab, the sister of Umar, was in wedlock, whereas his sister, Atika bint Zaid, was married to Umar ibn Khattab. He had Saeed ibn Zaid, he had nine wives and he had many children. And Saeed ibn Zaid as well, or something that we need to mention and that we need to look at with regards to him, is his father, the care of his father. And Saeed ibn Zaid, he was nurtured in the care of his father, Zaid ibn Amr ibn Nufayl. And his father was also known as Al-Hanafiyya, meaning someone that discarded the idol worship of his nation and he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ala millati Ibrahim on the religion of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam. So Ibn Sa'd, he reports that the father of Zayd ibn or Afwan, his father, Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, he was searching for a religion. He was searching for the deen, a true deen, a true religion. So he arrived in Sham and he asked the Jews and he asked the Christians about knowledge and religion.
but their religion was not to his liking. A Christian man told him that you are in searching of a religion of Ibrahim. So he asked, what is this religion of Ibrahim or Abraham? So he inquired. The man explained that he was a Hanif. He worshipped none by Allah, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any partners. Hanifan Muslima wa ma ana min al-mushrikeen as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions in the Quran that he was a monotheist. He only worshipped Allah azza wa jal. Musliman, he was a believer. And he was someone that he did not ascribe any partners to Allah Azza wa Jal. And then the man carries on and explains and he says, and you would be at war with those who worshipped anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is a sifa. It is a description of a believer as well. That we are Hanifan. That we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. We don't ascribe partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we will be at war. Meaning we are going to preach against shirk. We are going to preach against any form of worship of other beings other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're going to stand firm on this. Even if it means that we are going to have to speak out against our own family members. Even if it means that we need to speak out against certain practices in our community. Which goes against the tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. Then this is what we are going to do. This is of the lessons that we learned. From the companions. This is of the lessons that we learned from the Anbiya. And then he explains also and he says that moreover, he would not eat meat slaughtered for the idols. Again, something that we should take note of. Some practices that people they slaughter for other than Allah Azza wa Jal, you are not allowed to eat of this meat. So Zaid ibn Amr, he said, now this is the father of Sa'id. That this is what I recognize and I adhere to this religion. I want to be part of this religion. So as regarding the worship of a stone or wood, which I carved out with my own hands, then it is worthless. So Zaid subsequently returned to Mecca while adhering to the religion of Nabi Ibrahim. Amir ibn Rabi'ah, he explains that Zaid ibn Amr ibn Amr ibn Nufail was in search of a religion. He disliked Christianity, Judaism and the worship of idols and rocks. He openly opposed these people and he discarded their deities and what their forefathers worshipped. Furthermore, he would not eat animals slaughtered by them. He told me, O Amir, I have opposed my nation and I followed the religion of Ibrahim and what he would worship 
as well as Ismail and those after him. They would face praying the qibla, they would pray facing the qibla. And now I am awaiting a Nabi from the progeny of Ismail to be sent. So now he's explaining to Amir ibn Rabi'ah that I am waiting for a prophet. I'm waiting for a man to claim Nubuwa so I can follow him. And he says that I do not think that I will live to his time, but I believe in him and I attest to him and I testify that he is a Nabi. If you live long and you see him, then convey my salam to him. Amir says that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam became a Nabi, then I embraced Islam and I informed him of Zayd ibn Amr's statement and I conveyed his salam to him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam replied to the greeting and he begged for divine mercy for him. And he also commented and he said that I saw him in Jannah swimming peacefully. Subhanallah. So yeah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we see that Zayd ibn Amr, he does not meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But he informs Amir ibn Rabi'ah that you need to convey my salam to him. And you need to tell him that I testify in him. That I attest that he is a Nabi and I am going to, and I would have followed him had I seen him. This message is brought to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day when Amir ibn Rabi'ah accepts Islam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he makes dua for him. He begs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives him. And he says that I saw him in Jannah swimming peacefully. And Allah azza wa jal knows best. Imam al-Zahabi rahimahullahu ta'ala, he reports on the strength of Asma bint Abi Bakr and said, I certainly saw Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail standing, supporting his back on the Kaaba and declaring, O gathering of Quraysh, by Allah, there is none amongst you on the religion of Nabi Ibrahim besides me. There's a report in the Sunan of Imam al-Nasai where Asma bint Abu Bakr says that I saw Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail supporting his back on the Kaaba and announcing that no one of you today is following the religion of Nabi Ibrahim besides me. And he would carry on and he would say that my deity is the deity of Ibrahim and my religion is the religion of Ibrahim. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he spoke of the father of Sa'id. And he said that he will indeed be resurrected on the day of Qiyamah as a nation by himself between me and Isa. And this, my beloved brothers is and sisters in Islam, is a beautiful message that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he gives to his companions. And he says that Zayd ibn Amr, he will be resurrected on the day of Qiyamah by himself, a nation by himself, and he would be baini wa baina Isa. It would be between me and between Nabi Isa. May Allah be pleased with him. So the next point that I would like to look at, and this is something important as well, is Sa'id's hijrah. The hijrah that he made and his jihad. Sa'id, he made hijrah to Medina, and he stayed with 
Rifa'a ibn Abdul Mundir, the brother of Abu Lubaba. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he contracted brotherhood between him and Sayyidina Rafi' ibn Malik al-Zuraqi. Ibn Abdul Bar, he explains that Sa'id ibn Zaid was amongst the first muhajirun. He accepted Islam in its early days or its early stages before Umar ibn Khattab. Due to his marriage came the Islam of Umar ibn Khattab and the story of this regard is a beautiful one. He and his wife Fatima immigrated. He never participated in Badr. However, and the reason for this we will look at a bit later because he was in Sham at the time. When he returned after the Battle of Badr, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he still allotted a share of the booty and he was and promised him its reward. And the same happened with who? With Uthman radiallahu an. He was not present at the battle for that he had to look after his wife was the daughter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam still promised and still gave him the reward of the booty of the battle and promised him the reward of participating in the battle. Because there was a valid reason. There was a shari'i reason that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave them that they could not be present. Had they been in Medina at the time, they would have, or had there not been a reason like that of Uthman, then they would have participated with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And never ever for a moment doubt, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, never for a moment feel that their status is a bit lower because they did not participate. Always look at the reasons why they did not participate in the battle of Badr. So Sa'id ibn Zaidi was present at all the expeditions alongside Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam besides the battle of Badr. And he was not present because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he sent him and Talha to Sham to gather information about the caravan, the caravans of the Quraysh. But nonetheless, they still had a portion of the share of the booty. Ibn Sa'ad he narrates that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam learned of the Quraysh's caravan's arrival at Sham, he dispatched Talha ibn Ubaidullah and Sa'id ibn Zaid ibn Amr ibn Nufail ten nights prior to him setting out from Medina to gather information of the caravan. They traveled until they reached Al-Hawra. They waited there until the caravan passed. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received intelligence before Talha and Sa'id could return to him. So he urged his sahaba on and he left with the intention of intercepting the caravan. This caravan moved along the coastal route. It moved rapidly and traveled at night and during the day out of fear of the interceptors. Talha ibn Ubaidullah and Sa'id ibn Zaid left towards Medina to give Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the information of the caravan. They were unaware of his exit. 
So when they reached Medina the day Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam met with the Quraysh at Badr, they left Medina immediately in search of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they met him at Turban, between Milal and Asiyala, and on a clear road of, on his return from Badr. Hence Talha and Sa'id did not actually witness Badr, but nonetheless Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he gave them their share and guaranteed them the reward for Badr. So they did not just sit in Medina. When they came, they saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not here. Obviously the people of Medina, there were still some women left. There were still some men left, the elderly, that looked after them also as well. So they informed them that this is where Rasulullah sallam went and they went in search of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam only to find the messenger of Allah azza wa jal returning back to Medina. Sa'id ibn Zayd then went on to participate in Uhud. So he fought in the battle of Uhud, he fought in the battle of Khandaq and all the other major campaigns alongside Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He proved his worth during these campaigns. He was also present at Yarmouk. He was one of the leaders of the army in this battle. He accomplished the tasks par excellence. Sayyidina Sa'id was really one of the astounding men of this glorious battle. Abu Ubaidah, he placed him he placed him in the heart of the army. This is a spot where only the brave and courageous soldiers are stationed. As soon as Sa'id saw the Romans attack, he jumped to the ground and he kneeled. As they got closer to him, he pierced the first man of the army with his banner and then he sprung at their faces like a lion. He began fighting bravely and the Muslims rallied towards him. Imam al-Dhahabi rahimallahu ta'ala, he says that Sa'id ibn Zayd witnessed all the battles at the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, except Badr obviously. He later participated in the siege of Damascus and its subsequent conquest after which Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. I appointed him as a governor over it. He is thus the first to act as a representative of Damascus from this Ummah. Ibn Asakir, he comments and he says that he is one of the ten that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam promised Jannah. He participated in Yarmouk and the siege of Damascus. Subsequent to which Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah appointed him as the governor of the city of Damascus. He left with Umar ibn Khattab on his second journey to Sham in which he returned from Sarh. He was the leader of a quarter of the Muhajirun on this journey. The virtues and the excellence of Sa'id. Abu Nu'im wrote a beautiful description and he says regarding the virtue of Sa'id ibn Zayd, which I feel should be reproduced here. So he says that he was indeed someone as a reg- or he regarded Sa'id ibn Zayd, ibn Amr, ibn Nufail as someone who openly voiced the truth. He spent his wealth generously and subdued his desires and he fought courageously. 
He was not amongst those who feared the criticism of the critics in the way of Allah. His supplications were answered. He embraced Islam to Umar ibn Khattab. I mean, prior to Umar ibn Khattab. He collected his share of booty and reward from Badr. He avoided leadership and he dedicated himself to accountability. He cut off himself from his carnal desires and he prevented himself from indulging in worldly luxuries. He steered clear from fitna and vices which led to the destruction and to arrogance. So you are someone, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, that you would take great care of his soul and you take great care of and not falling into the traps of shaitan and the illnesses and the sicknesses of the heart. He was someone that was determined to set the president and pass through it. He was someone that led to loftiness and happiness. He detested authority and was unconcerned about worldly ranks. He was devout in his worship and he was someone that would stand firm for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this description subhanallah is a profound and fine description. It explains what type of person Saeed ibn Zaid was. It also indicates his virtues and his excellence. It also teaches us that he was someone that really stood firm like all the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and especially the nine previous companions that we looked at over the past few weeks. So what was his position by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And what was the praise that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had for Sa'id? So Sa'id he reached a lofty rank and held a very high position in the sight of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw his truthfulness, his sincerity and his courage, he kept him near and dear to him and he took him as one of his closest companions. Sa'id ibn Jubair. He says, the rank of Abu Bakr, Umar Uthman Ali, Sa'ad, Sa'id, Talha, Zubair and Abdul Rahman ibn Auf was one and the same. They were in front of him in the battlefield and behind him during Salah in the masjid. None of the other muhajirun and ansar had the privilege to take their position whether they were present or absent. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he promised him Jannah. Imam At-Tirmidhi rahimallahu ta'ala he reports in his sunan from Abdurrahman ibn Humaid, from his father, that Sa'id ibn Zayd reported to him, among others, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam declared that ten individuals are in Jannah. Abu Bakr is in Jannah. Umar is in Jannah. As well as Uthman, Ali, Zubair, Talha, Abdurrahman, Abu Ubaidah, and Sa'id ibn Abi Waqas. He enumerated these nine and did not list the tenth. The people thus ask, we implore you, O Messenger of Allah. 
Oh, Abu al-A'war, who is the tent? So, Afwan, they implored and they asked Abu al-A'war, who is the tent? So, he is reporting this hadith. And the people they wants to know, but who was the tent? You don't mention the tent. And then he says that you have implored me by Allah that Abu al-A'war is in Jannah. And Abu Isa, who is Imam At-Tirmidhi, he explains and he says that Abu Al-A'war, and as we've seen earlier, that, that is Sa'id ibn Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nawfa. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he also mentions, or there are other ahadith, that explains about the lofty rank of Sa'id, that he will be entered into Jannah. So we see and we learn from all these narrations, the lofty rank that, rank that he enjoyed in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they bear testimony without a doubt that Sa'id was from amongst the purest of the companions and the closest to him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would not have mentioned this except about a person whose intention is pure and heart is clean. He's amongst those who Allah pleased with, those that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kept close and that he guaranteed him Jannah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would answer the supplications of Sa'id. And one of the amazing merits is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered his dua in an event that transpired between him and Urwa bint Uwais. She resorted to Marwan ibn al-Hakam, besieging his help against Sa'id ibn Zayd, claiming that he oppressively snatched away her land and usurped her right. He was a neighbor in Aqiq. And her claim was false and she was the oppressor. So basically she went to the governor. She went to the ruler of the time of Medina, Marwan ibn al-Hakam. And she says to him that I'm laying a complaint against Sa'id ibn Zayd. And Sa'id ibn Zayd, he usurped my land. And he took away certain things from me. Now, what the ulama explain, or the historians as well, they say that this claim was false and she oppressed Sa'id ibn Zayd. So Sa'id ibn Zayd, we came in front of Marwan ibn Hakam and he defended himself. He explained the situation. She, on the other hand, persisted on a claim. So she handed over, or so he handed over whatever he had and he gave it to her and he claimed that she, so let's understand this properly. So after she carries on, right? he defends himself, she still carries on. He says, you know what? Since you're claiming this, I'm going to hand you over the things that you want. And then he cursed her. He made dua against her and the dua was answered. So let's look at another report in Hilyatu Awliya from Abu Bakr ibn Muhammad ibn Amr ibn Hazm. 
So this lady, she makes a claim against Sa'id ibn Zayd in the court of Marwan ibn Hakam. And he makes the dua. He says, Oh Allah, indeed she claims that I have oppressed her. If she is a liar, then make her blind and throw her into a well and manifest a light upon my right, making it clear to the Muslims that I have not oppressed her. He continues, around the same time, Aqiq had an unprecedented flood which unearthed the border over which they disputed. So Saeed was truthful in the matter. It was hardly a month later that she became blind. And whilst walking in the land of hers, she fell into a well and she died. He continues, When we were young, we would hear a person saying to another, May Allah blind you like how he blinded Arwa. We thought that he refers to Arwa the animal. Only later we realized that it actually is due to the curse of Sa'id ibn Zayd upon her. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, like I mentioned last week, when we spoke about Sa'id ibn Abi Waqas, never ever oppress someone. Never ever treat someone bad. Because we never know who is a friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is the wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who is that person that has a high rank in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Many persons, they might not be famous on this dunya, but wallahi in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are extremely famous. Many people on this dunya, when you look at them, you just think that they are ordinary people. But with, rega- with regards to the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have a lofty status. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he explains. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explains about the awliya of Allah. That they are those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are those that they do what is correct and they stay away from what is evil. A wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not that person that you see, oh mashallah, he's wearing a 10 meter turban. Or he's wearing five or six big jubbas. And he's walking with a stick and with a tasbih. No. But rather a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that person. That he obeys the rules and the regulations of the sharia. That he follows the Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That he takes his deen from the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the first three generations. That he follows the tariqah and the way of the salaf salih. This is a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, remember the ahadith that we discussed last week. Where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where he says, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the hadith Qudsi, that whosoever declares war, 
whomsoever curses and whomsoever speaks ill and treats ill a wali of mine, then know that I declare war against that person. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says in another hadith, that beware and fear the dua of a oppressed person. Because between the oppressed person and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no veils. And we live in a time and we live in a place, in a society. We live in the world as well. Where subhanallah, we find that people are getting oppressed. Whether it's in Palestine, whether it's in Kashmir, whether it's in China. Or whether it's locally, whether it's in your own families, in your own communities. Oppression is not only what we find, so for example... For example, the Palestinians, for example, the Syrian people, example, the people in Central Africa. It is not only something that is organized by a certain organization, by a certain government, by a certain country, no. But sometimes we oppress our family members, sometimes we oppress our children, sometimes we oppress our wives. And they too could make dua against us. So let us ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not be of those that oppress people. The next point I would like to look at is Sa'id ibn Zayd and the committee. And some people, they would find it a bit difficult to fathom that why was Sa'id ibn Zayd not part of the six men of the committee who Umar ibn Khattab elected moments before his demise. So some think that this is to tarnish the status and degrade him from the rank he rightfully enjoys. While it is true that Saeed was not amongst the committee, however, this does not defect any, show us any defect with regards to him. Or it does not make him a lower person, a lower companion compared to these six members of the committee. The actual reason why Umar left him out was so that no portion of leadership may remain in his family and since Saeed is his brother-in-law and his cousin as well. He did not want people to accuse him of nepotism. He did not want people to come afterwards after his demise and say, you know, Umar, he put his son or he put his brother-in-law or he put his cousin. And where do we learn this from? We learn this from Exactly what happened in the life of Uthman. Where one of the accusations that the enemies of Uthman radiallahu an and the enemies of Islam at that time that they gave and they brought up against Uthman radiallahu an was this exact claim. That out of all the many governors that he has that he put his family there. So Umar ibn Khattab was an extremely wise man and this is why he never included him in this committee. The demise of Saeed ibn Zayd. Saeed ibn Zayd, he passed away in the year 51 after Hijrah at the age of 70. He was buried in Medina. And it is mentioned that Saeed ibn Abi Waqas and Abdullah ibn Umar descended in his grave. There are also some reports that said that he passed away in the year 50 at the age of 70. And there's some reports that says he passed away in the year 58. 
But the year 50 or 51 is more accurate and Allah knows best. Abdullah ibn Umar, he says that he washed him, he applied perfume to him and he performed his janazah salah. Al-Nafi says that Aisha bin Sa'ad says that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas washed him and applied perfume on Sa'id ibn Zaid. He then came home, he took a shower and after leaving he, comment, he commented, listen up. I have not taken a shower from washing him. I only took a shower due to the heat. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas and Ibn Umar descended into his grave and Ibn Umar led the Janazah Salah. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, this brings us to the end of the life of Sa'id ibn Zayd. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower him with blessings. This also brings us to the end of our series, the 10 companions that were promised Jannah. And before we end off, it is extremely important that we as a Muslim Ummah, we as the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that we look at some of the lessons derived from this cause. Because studying history is not always just about reading. It is not always about, okay, this person was born in this year, he died in this year. This is what he did. This is how many wives he had, how many children he had. He participated in this battle, he didn't participate in that battle. No. But rather history is studied. And especially the history of the Sahaba for various reasons. And the first reason is that reading and studying their lives it increases my love and your love for them. It also teaches us how to respect and honor the companions. Like, for example, I met a brother or two in a few days ago and they were discussing or they were speaking to me about um, the companion that we did last week. And they said that, for example, a lesson that they took out from this was that never curse people. Because you never know when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts your dua. So this shows us that it's not merely that we studied or we attended this class for entertainment or just to listen to stories, but rather to increase our love for them. And once we love them more, we will respect them and we will honor them. Point number two. It will teach us to imitate them. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, we live in a time, we live in a society where our youth, they have left the model of the companions. And yeah, when we speak about imitating, don't get me wrong. We're not speaking about imitating in the way, okay, now you need to dress in a particular way or not. No. If he's wearing clothing and it's loose-fitting clothing, then that's fine. But what we are speaking about, that imitate them in their ways, imitate them in their lives, imitate them in their akhlaq, imitate them in character, imitate them in their strength, how they would train, how they would give da'wah. This is what is meant by imitation 
of them. And why do we say imitate them? Because they were the best of nations. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. Ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhuna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah. That you were taken out. Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. That you are the best of nations taken out of mankind. Ta'muruna bil ma'ruf. And you enjoin what is good. وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And you forbid what is evil. وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ And you believe in Allah. So the first people this ayah is referring to is the companions. The Prophet ﷺ when speaking about the companions, he says, or the first three generations, what does he say? He says, خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ says twice that the best generation is my generation and then the generation after them and the generation after them they were the cream of the crop so why follow other people I want to follow this sheikh I want to follow this sheikh I'm following this tariqah I must cut my beard in this particular way I must wear particular glasses because this is what my sheikh does for what? Go back and study the history of the companions and the first three generations and try to be like them. Studying of this history also it will teach us that we need to stay away from cursing one another, from cursing the companions, from speaking ill about the companions. Again, we find ourselves in the month of Muharram. We find ourselves where the Ithna Ashariya, when the Rafidiya, with the Shia, once again they find it fit. To speak ill of the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam because in order to speak ill against Yazid and to speak ill against his father and his grandfather, they also need to rope in the other companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. With understanding the companions, with knowing the history, knowing the sacrifices that they made, then we will be of those that can protect their honor, protect their dignity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions in the Quran and he says, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَاهَدُوا اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهُ وَمِنْهُمْ مَيَّنْ تَوْذِيرُ وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبَدِيلًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions and he says that among the believers are men who have been true to the covenant with Allah. Who is this referring to? This is the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah says, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَاهَدُوا اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ That amongst the believers are men who have been true to the covenant with Allah. They've gone out and they fought in jihad. And they showed not their backs to the disbelievers. فَمِنْهُمْ And from them. There are those who have fulfilled their obligations, meaning that they were martyred. How many of the companions of Allah was martyred in the battlefields? And some of them, they are still waiting to be martyred. وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبَدِيلُ And they have never changed. They have never proved to be treacherous to their covenant with Allah in the least. And this ayah is for us as well. Where do we fit in this ayah? Yes, referring to the companions. And then what about us as well? Are we of those 
that are true with our covenant to Allah. We might not be fighting a physical jihad. But definitely fighting on the front. In terms of defending Islam. By means of writing articles. By means of being a good Muslim. By means of portraying our deen. In a good manner. By standing on the mimbas and the mihrabs and preaching. Calling the people back to Tawheed. Warning the people against shirk. Warning the people against bid'ah. Are we not of those people? And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those. That we can be of that rijal. Of those men that are true with a covenant with Allah. Allahumma ja'alna minhum. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam. With regards to the companions. With regards to the sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the series that we discussed. This was merely ten of them. We took a bit longer because we discussed. The lives of. Uthman radiallahu an and Ali radiallahu an a bit longer. Because in and especially in the life of Ali radiallahu an, you would find that there was disagreements amongst the companions. There was disagreement and these disagreements as I explained in that part of the series and I'm not going to explain again. But disagreements that was due to the understanding of matters. Not disagreements due to hatred. As we find that certain groups and certain ideologies would try to push. And look how beautifully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains in Surah Al-Hashr. Verse number 10. He explains what my attitude and your attitude needs to be. And he says regarding the companions. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِن بَعْدِهِمْ and those who came after them would say, Yakuluna Rabbana. They would say, Oh, our Lord, Rabbana Firlana. That, Oh, our Lord, forgive us. Wali Ikhwanina Ladina Sabakuna Bil Iman. And our brethren who have preceded us in faith. Wala Tajal Fi Kulubina. And do not put in our hearts. Do not make our hearts filled with غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ With غِل With hatred لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Against those who believed رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ That, O oh Allah, O oh my Lord, our Lord, You are indeed full of kindness, most merciful. This is what Allah explains to us regarding our companions. That make dua. Make dua for them. Ask Allah to forgive them. You make dua for yourselves, make dua for them as well. Because at the end of the day, they were the ones that taught us this deen. If it wasn't for them and these students and these students, until we have today, we would have not have this deen of Islam. My beloved brothers and sisters in Islam brings me to the end of the series. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our efforts. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. If there was any good, 
from this cause and this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if there was any mistakes and shortcomings and this was from myself and shaitan we also ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whoever is listening to this that you make dua for the Tayyibah Institute as well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants the teachers and grants the brothers and sisters that's involved that he grants them sincerity and ikhlas that he grants them that this institute can grow from strength to strength and we ask from you as the public that you support this institute whether it is financially or whether it is with your good du'as and I end off with a statement which I started with in my first lesson Abdullah ibn Mas'ud may Allah be pleased with him he said whoever wants to follow a path let him follow the path of one who has died for the living are not safe from fitna I mean the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam they were the best of this ummah they were the purest in heart the deepest in knowledge the most straightforward of people Allah chose them to accompany his prophet and establish his religion. So recognize their status and follow in their footsteps and adhere as much as you can to the example. The example of conduct and attitude for they followed the true guidance. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أستغفرك وأتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته